The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 to introduce our thoughts today. Lord willing, I'd like to begin a series on fear, a series on not just fear, the different <coughs> aspects of fear, the remedies of fear, but specifically conquering fear. And um, from the scriptures, it affirms, but I think experience would also teach us that unchecked fear can be debilitating, can be controlling, and as it says in Romans chapter 8, can put us in bondage, and as it says from 1 John chapter 4, has great torment, and I know I've experienced that from time to time, both the bondage and the torment of fear. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 7 the Holy Spirit writes to us and also Paul encouraging the young minister Timothy directly for God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind now there are primarily two distinct types of fear that are addressed in Scripture. The first of those being the fear of God, the reverence and the fear of God, and the other being the spirit of fear that's addressed right here. And then as a, as a sub-bullet point of the uh, spirit of fear, uh, there's four ones that, as I've thought about this and meditated on this and tried to study, uh, you could break this out a lot differently, um, and there can be a lot of sub-points of each of those, but the four that, um, that I've really focused on in my studies is, first of all, the fear of the unknown, and then the fear of being overwhelmed, which I would just call stress, and um, the fear of man, and then the fear of death. And uh, hopefully in time we can consider all of these. I've got um, a rough draft working copy of my study notes that's constantly an evolving document as it is with most of my studies. Uh, Today we'd like to just give you an overview of where we hope to be going, Lord willing, uh, in the the weeks to come. Uh, If anyone would like a a draft of my study notes, at least the uh, unrefined version as it sits right now, just let me know and certainly uh, I can get you those to hopefully study along or study ahead or however you see fit. Uh, But hopefully we can give you a little bit of an overview today. So, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but notice the remedies, at least here in this verse, there's many other remedies throughout the Word of God uh, for this tormenting bondage of the spirit of fear. But three specific remedies that are given us here in this passage is... God has given us the spirit of power and the spirit of love 
and the spirit of a sound mind. So you see that contrast there. He's not given us the spirit of fear in the sense of natural fear, of debilitating, crippling fear, but he has given us the spirit, power, and of love and of a sound mind. Now, uh, there's a lot of aspects of that um, contrasting spirit that he's given us, but really what he's saying here is that I've given you the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Holy Spirit is what is the spirit of power. The Holy Spirit is what is the spirit of love. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of a sound mind, of wisdom, to be able to discern the challenging circumstances that come in our life. So first of all, as we think about fear, as with pain, fear in and of itself is not a sinful emotion. It's something that the Lord gave us as a response to danger that can help us in specific circumstances, right? Um, There's a lot to be said about this, but a few notes that I jotted down in studying through this. Um, You've all heard of the fight or flight syndrome, right? Well, the cause of fear, the root um, chemical reaction that causes fear starts in an area of the brain called the amygdala, which is the center of emotion. So let's say, for example, you're in a dangerous situation. You're Maybe you're out in uh, somewhere out west or something and you see a bear, right? You see a dangerous situation. Well, God has wired you to not just look at that bear and be like, oh, what a nice little pretty bear, right? He, he has wired you to recognize that there might be an impending danger right here and your body heightens its senses and there are a lot of chemical reactions that go along with that heightened sense that tell you that I need to undertake some action, right? Um, So that response naturally triggers, and you have that fight-or-flight syndrome, uh, something I thought was interesting along those same topics. It says that our brains are constantly recording information, and the data that burrows pathways from what we have learned in the past we remember the triggers for those fears. And when our body senses fear triggers, our body begins to respond with fear, right? So what he's saying there is that your body essentially just creates muscle memory, uh, fear muscle memory, that if specific situations come and those cause these reactions, then over time, with the repetition of that, it uses the language here, it burrows pathways in our mind that as soon as I see that situation or as soon as uh, I see something that in the past has triggered fear, now it immediately escalates because I've trained my body to respond that way. And once those pathways are burrowed, (laughs) they can be very difficult to change those pathways, right? But this is a a quote that uh, I saw when I was studying through this that I I think it's it's 
beneficial for us to think about this in such a way that fear is not bad, it just has to be controlled, just like many things. You know, pain is not comfortable, but pain is the Lord wiring your body to notify you that something's wrong. You know, those, those people, I can't remember what condition it is, they can't feel any pain. They're, they're in tremendous danger to themselves because they can't identify when there is a problem because they can't feel the response that triggers, hey, something's wrong. You know, nobody likes running a fever, right? But that is a response that your body is fighting something that tells you something's wrong, right? These are beneficial things that the Lord has given us to identify that something is wrong. So fear in and of itself is not bad. It's, it's a chemical response that the Lord gave to us to be able to respond to things for our protection and for many other reasons. But notice this quote. <clears throat> fear is a normal response to a threat. Like pain, it is a gift from God intending to keep us safe. Feeling guilty for feeling fear in a situation of threat is like feeling guilty for feeling hungry when you haven't eaten. It's something your body does. The challenge is to respond appropriately, right? So it's inevitable that we will encounter situations that will cause the natural chemical response for us to have the heightened alertness of fear. And uh, it always makes me feel good to read uh, some of the, the authenticity with which the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to write. You know, because I, I look at Paul and he, he displays so much boldness in, uh, in preaching the gospel against all, all these enemies and he's stoned and he's shipwrecked and he's beaten and all this. And uh, some people, um, and I, there's some people that I view in a very high sense in the kingdom of God and you look at them and it seems like they just respond to challenging circumstances so well and it's like, well, you know, nothing affects them. Uh, there's nothing that uh, can make them afraid. Look how bold their faith is. And that, that's how I would view the Apostle Paul, right? If I, if I interacted with him in the first century, I would look at him and say, wow, look at the, the strength and the boldness of his faith. But the Holy Spirit allowed him to write uh, in the Corinthian letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3. He said, when I came to you, I was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I mean, not, not just that I was afraid. I was, I was so afraid I was trembling. And then he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on, outward, uh, on every side. Without were fightings and within were fears. You see, there's nobody that is immune from this challenge of responding appropriately to the natural chemical response that we have of fear. So, let's get some definitions. Webster's 1828. <clears throat> There's this definition of fear from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. <clears throat> A painful emotion or passion excited by an expectation of evil or the apprehension of impending danger. I'm going to read that again. A painful emotion, <laughs> that can be true, right? A torment, a bondage, a painful emotion. But notice, 
excited by the expectation of evil. Now, we could say the fear of the unknown as a specific subcategory, but essentially all fear is us looking at something, and I'm making certain assumptions about what might happen or what dangers might be imposed by my assessment of that situation. I'm not necessarily always responding to an immediate threat, right? That's how God ordained fear. I'm not responding to a bear attacking me, right? I'm not responding to an immediate threat. Instead, I view something and I am becoming fearful because of an expectation of evil or an apprehension of impending danger. And that's the challenge, isn't it, right? Is because when it becomes debilitating, I am seeing boogeyman's around every corner, right? I'm seeing every possibility of things that could go wrong. What's the remedy for that? There's much to be said about all these specific remedies that we'll, we'll deal with in time. But really, it's faith. It's trusting God. It's prayer, right? It's prayer and commending that that apprehension of impending future, an apprehension of something that I perceive could happen in the future, well, even if that thing does come, guess what? God has promised me that he's not going to leave me, he's not going to forsake me, and because the Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? All these, these beautiful promises in Scripture that when I see that, and I might let my mind wander to to create something that I'm afraid of in the future of an expectation of what might happen, I just have to commend that over to the Lord in faith and in prayer and to trust that no matter what, He's going to give me grace sufficient every day. He's going to protect me. And He is my refuge and He is my strength. And by the way, the opposite is true. The more you do that, you burrow pathways of faith <laughs> too, right? You burrow. You don't burrow pathways of of debilitating fear. You burrow pathways of trusting God. That that's hopefully how you can respond better the next time that that situation comes. So we'd like to give you just a little bit of an overview of where we would like to go to try to deal with this topic. And before we get too far down the road in this, I would like to say that fear in many ways is a chemical response of the body, right? You have uh, heightened alertness, you have elevated blood pressure, possibly elevated blood sugar. There's a lot of um, physical responses that go along with that. And you know what? There may be a place for having a medical Response and medication to help out with that. I've had to do that in times past, but our first response should not be pursuing the crutch of medication. Our first response should be to examine these spiritual disciplines in prayer and faith and trusting God. But you know what? There's a need from time to time for medical assistance, right? And I've had to have that medical assistance in times past when I was in college and my stomach was a mess and um, I had gastritis and gastroparesis and 
I was in the throes of the most difficult semester in the uh, accounting profession. I had to have something to simmer some things down <laughs> because I was nauseated and throwing up all the time and my, my body was not responding properly. And once the got some medication that simmered everything down, then I could deal with what I needed to deal with. So there's a place for that. There's no doubt a place for that. But our first response, your, your first response, when you feel the physical symptoms of fear should not be immediately medication. Your first response should be prayer. Your first response should be opening the Bible and say, Lord, strengthen and increase my faith. Okay? So I want to make sure we give that disclaimer before we get too far down the road. <clears throat> but I think that we've all experienced, to varying degrees, the, the struggle and, as it says in Romans chapter 8, the bondage of unchecked, debilitating fear. Okay? Romans chapter 8. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now notice how this is contrasted here. We talked about the fear of God and then the spirit of fear, this natural fear. Well, what's the remedy for this natural fear that's, that creates bondage and torment? Walking day by day in the Holy Spirit. Now, for those children of God that have already been born again, we have the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. It'll never go anywhere. But on a daily basis, do we live in the Spirit, and do we walk in the Spirit, though? And if we're walking in the Spirit, you're going to feel the Spirit of power. You're going to feel the Spirit of love. You're going to feel the Spirit of a sound mind to think rationally about challenges that come in your life, and when the Holy Spirit allows you to have that wisdom and that love and that power to think rationally about this situation, that quenches the bondage, the chains that are inevitable if we let that natural fear go unchecked. So notice the contrast here between the spirit of fear that creates bondage and then the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit give you? Liberty, peace, joy. You see, the Holy Spirit's the remedy for everything. <laughs> And, and those of us that are children of God, we, we've got the Holy Spirit. But we have to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit on a daily basis, right? So verse 15 there in Romans 8. Three of you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Okay, that's the spirit of fear that creates bondage. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby ye cry of the Father. You see that contrast there between this natural fear that just debilitates and controls and consumes. It creates torment. Go ahead and turn to uh, 1 John chapter 4. That creates torment. What's the remedy for that? The Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Holy Spirit is always going to guide you into perfect love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. What's the greatest commandment? To love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and all our mind. Um, you know, it's been, the last few weeks have been pretty stressful for me, pretty challenging for me, and, you know, I've been trying to get my head in the right place too. You know, it's amazing how 
at the end of the day, if I feel like I've had a difficult day, a stressful day, and then I think about uh, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, that the Lord promised that the Lord will keep us, keep you, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. And every single day when uh, I feel like I've been stressed and overwhelmed, if I evaluate my thought processes, if I evaluate my thought life, I haven't really thought on the Lord in the way that I ought to, because the Lord said, if, if your mind stayed on me, I'm going to keep you in perfect peace. I also think about, um, let's see if I can find this one quickly. Uh, stay there in 1 John chapter 4. Psalm Twenty-five, Psalm twenty-five and verse twelve. I always think about this in conjunction with Isaiah chapter twenty-six and verse three. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. Boy, if I could just do that every day, that's a good day. That's a good day. If my soul dwells at ease, that's a good day. Well, how's our soul dwell at ease? Fear God. Fear God. Now, I don't think any of us are just uh, walking around in such a way that uh, we're acting in a blasphemous way, right? But on a daily basis, just like is, is my mind stayed upon the Lord, am I walking in a reverential awe and wonder, thinking about the fear of the Lord on a hourly basis? Is that something that I'm bringing to my mind on a regular basis? And if you do, what's the promise of Scripture here? Your soul is going to dwell at ease. Now, the opposite is true. If my soul's not at ease, what's that a pretty good indication of? I'm probably not walking in the fear of the Lord in the manner that I ought to, right? If, if my soul is not in perfect peace, my mind is probably not as stayed on the Lord as it should be, right? Because those are biblical promises. And then in conjunction with that, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there's no fear in love. So the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And the more you love Him, our mind's going to be stayed on Him, right? The more you love Him, the more we're going to fear and reverence Him. So if we just, it's amazing how, <laughs> I know I tell you this all the time, but the greatest commandment just takes care of everything. Our pursuit of the greatest commandment, if we pursue that and get up every day and say, Lord, I want to love you more fervently, more deeply, more passionately today than I did yesterday. That takes care of everything. Because you're going to be walking in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be living in the Holy Spirit. You're going to have the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You're going to have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Your mind's going to be stayed on Him. That'll keep you in perfect peace. You'll be uh, walking in the fear of the Lord, that your soul will be at ease. There is no fear in love. But perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So, if I am being consumed with fear, debilitating fear, then that is a symptom. It's a symptom that I'm not pursuing the greatest commandment in the manner that I ought to. Because there's no fear in love. And we all have a little bit of fear and we're never going to love the Lord perfectly with all of our heart, soul, and mind, right? But in that spectrum... In that spectrum, 
I hate to put numbers on it, but just bear with me. If you are, it's, it's an inverse relationship. If, if you are pursuing loving the Lord with uh, all your heart, soul, and mind, and you're having a really good day, and you're hovering at like 70%, <laughs> I'll probably never even hit 70. I've probably never been above about 15%. But let's say, let's say if you were, if you were just humming and having a great day, you know what? I don't think that you're going to be consumed with this fear because the higher your love, your perfect love of the Lord grows, the less that debilitating fear grows. But then when we get a little bit too consumed with the cares of this world and we're not, our mind's not stayed on the Lord, and, and maybe we're a little bit more concerned about ourselves and not concerned about serving others. And now that, that love of the Lord is starting to diminish a little bit. What inevitably starts growing on the other end of the, of the seesaw, right? All of a sudden that natural fear starts growing, right? There's no fear in love. In an in absolute world, perfect love has 0% fear. And I would dare say 100% fear has zero love, right? But on a daily basis, just like with faith, Lord, I believe that, that, that seesaw of faith, right? Lord, I believe, but Lord, help thou mine unbelief. <laughs> Lord, I love you and I'm fearful. I know perfect love casts out fear. Lord, bless me to love you better to diminish this debilitating fear, okay? Because fear hath torment. I can amen that. Fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And then, the verse we all know and love in verse 19, we love him because he first loved us, right? Perfect love casts out fear. So, this consuming, debilitating fear, if left unchecked, can certainly calls bondage and torment. And I think we've probably all experienced that to varying degrees. Let's, let's try to uh, think about together at a very high level before in the weeks to come, Lord willing, we dig into this in detail. The, the, the four types of the spirit of fear, of natural fear here in this world. First of all, let's just think about the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown, all the what ifs, all the hypotheticals, all the maybes. And, you know, you've maybe heard in times past, idle mind is the devil's playground. Well, if you got too much time on your hands, you know, you can think about everything in the world that could possibly go wrong. But if you are busy and active and engaged. You don't have as much time to let your, let our, and our minds all naturally run wild, if not control. We have to be so purposeful to control our thoughts. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Because I'll tell you how fear goes. You let one little old bitty thought that you don't catch real quick, <laughs> you don't bring it in captive, you let that one little thought run through the filter. Next thing you know, it grows and it grows and you give yourself about 10 minutes and next thing you know, 
you know, I can't function. That's how we nat our minds naturally gravitate. And boy, it's so difficult to bring every thought into captivity because there's going to be one that's going to slip through the cracks. <laughs> it's just going to happen. There's going to be one thought that's going to slip through the cracks. If you don't catch it, if you don't catch it quick, boy, it can cause torment. It can cause torment and bondage. Bring every thought into captivity. And what's one of the main ways we do that? It's by prayer, right? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. Now, that doesn't mean to live irresponsibly, but don't be full of care. Don't, don't be so consumed with all of the cares. I mean, there's enough. Uh, we, we, won't, we don't have time to quote the whole thing there uh, in Matthew chapter 6, but Jesus is telling his disciples, don't, care, don't, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your raiment. Uh, the 33rd verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then the, the 34th verse, take no thought for the morrow. Because sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You got enough problems today, right? Instead of letting fear create this expectation of evil that might happen tomorrow. Guess what? It may not happen. It may not happen. I don't, I don't need daily bread for what might happen today, tomorrow, a week from now, five years from now. What do I need? Grace sufficient for today right? Don't let the fear of tomorrow... Now, we can make reasonable um, expectations and assumptions about what might happen tomorrow. Um, and based on those reasonable ex expectations, you can plan accordingly, right? I'm not saying you don't have a calendar, right? <laughs> You're going to be a very irresponsible adult if you don't take some thought for what's coming up in the next 24 hours, right? But you cannot let the possibility of what might happen tomorrow quench your fruitfulness in the kingdom of God today, right? That's what he means by don't take any thought. That doesn't mean never you don't make any plans for the future, but there's enough problems that are real problems today instead of letting the hypothetical problems that could possibly happen tomorrow, and when I say could possibly, that almost implies a greater, greater than 50% chance of happening. The 0 .005 things that I, a percent that it might happen, and when I say might, I don't mean might in the sense of greater than 50%. It's, it's such a remote possibility. It'll probably never even happen, but boy, Sometimes those 0.05% things are what consume our mind, right? Take no thought for the morrow. Now, what's, how, do you, how do you get rid of that, that, that concern and that fear? By prayer. Be careful for nothing. You commend those cares over to the Lord. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Now, what's the effect of that? I've been trying to be very purposeful in my, purposeful in my prayers to have the mental picture, especially during times of stress, during times of fear, during times of anxiety, that I am trying to mentally picture that I am taking my yoke off of me and putting it on Christ, and I'm taking His yoke and putting it on me. Because His yoke is easy, 
and his burden is light. Now, you're going to have a yoke in this world. You're going to have a burden in this world. Those are guaranteed. It's guaranteed in this world you're going to have tribulation. It's guaranteed that you're going to have a yoke and you're going to have a burden. The question is, are you going to try to bear your own yoke? Then, boy, it is heavy. It will break you. You bearing your own yoke will break you. But if you give that yoke over to Christ, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So we all are going to have burdens. The question is, am I trying to be foolish enough to bear this burden myself? Or am I going to take Christ's yoke upon me today and allow me to experience his yoke being easy and his burden being light? Right? So, in this definition, in the fear, actually, I also want to give you a definition of anxiety. Webster's 1828. Concern or Solicitude, maybe. I think that's what, what the, how you pronounce the word. Respecting some event, future or uncertain. So we're not talking about reality. We're not talking about things that are happening. We're not talking about events, historical facts. Future or uncertain events, which disturbs the mind and keeps the mind in a state of painful uneasiness. <laughs> if you ever experienced anxiety, that is a precise definition, right? But notice the root cause of this. We're not talking, we're not dealing with reality. We're not dealing with, with things that are happening. Instead, it is my fear of the future and uncertain events that keeps my mind in a state of painful uneasiness. Now, at the end of the day, if I'm afraid that something is going to happen in my life that I can't handle, what's that indicative of? What's that a, sim what's that a symptom of? That's a lack of faith and confidence that God's grace is really sufficient. Okay? I want to go ahead and skip ahead to um, the fear of being overwhelmed, the fear of stress. Um, if, you know, let me see if I can find that definition for stress really quickly. Um, the definition of stress, I think it goes along with anxiety, but you've probably heard the term stress in relation to um, maybe the weight in which a piece of steel can hold a certain amount of weight. And if you put enough stress on this particular object, there's going to come a point where the stress upon that piece of steel will collapse that piece of steel, right? And that's kind of the definition. This is from Google, by the way. <laughs> this is not from Webster's 1828. Uh, but I think it's appropriate. Pressure or tension exerted upon a material object. So think about that. You know, everything has a certain stress level, and when you go beyond that stress level, what happens? That thing breaks. That thing breaks. And if you put enough weight 
on anything, there is a maximum capacity that 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 the weight that that thing can hold, and if you go beyond that maximum capacity, it collapses. I want to remind you that you are dust, and you're going to return to dust. Okay, what is your maximum capacity? <laughs> How much weight can can uh, can dust hold? Not that much. Not that much, right? That's why. That's why. If you're trying to bear your own yoke, it's going to crush you all day long. It's going to create torment all day long. Now, it's one thing if we're dealing with real-world problems. That can create a tremendous amount of stress. But if you take that layer of real-world problems and then you add on the layer of all the what-ifs and all the unknowns and all the things, that will be too much stress for you to handle. You're, you weren't wired to handle that. So what's the remedy for that? It's prayer. <laughs> it's relieving that stress to give it over to the Lord. And when I talk about stress, the biblical term of that would be being overwhelmed. Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O Lord. There's a prayer. Hear my cry, O Lord, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, what's my response? When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, it's not in your best interest. You, you have a very, you want to talk about your, the weight of stress that you have the ability to bear. It's not that much because you're just a little bitty piece of dust. Best case scenario, um, the Bible calls you a worm. <laughs> a worm doesn't have a lot of uh, max capacity to carry stuff, does it? Um, we don't have the ability to carry this kind of stuff around. But you don't know what we do have? We have the omnipotent, sovereign God of this universe, and he can carry all of it, right? He can carry all of that stress. <laughs> So, what's my response? It is not for you in your best interest, for, for you with all of our weakness, for you to believe that you are the master of your own fate and you are the captain of your own soul. It's not in your best interest. So, what does the Lord from time to time do? Maybe if we're walking in a little bit too much pride, what does he do? He brings circumstances in our life that teaches us humility and to show us really just how weak we are. And that's a beneficial lesson for you to learn. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh. You want to know why the Lord suffered that thorn in flesh to remain? Now, it was the messenger of Satan, okay? But God suffered it to remain for a purpose, lest he should be exalted above measure. Just in case the Apostle Paul, just in case everybody, every, everyone bragging on you about you being the greatest apostle in the New Testament church, just in case there's any danger of that going to your head, I'm going to allow this thorn in the flesh to remain. <laughs> and you want to know the lesson he learned? Because the Lord knew what his child needed. The Lord's a good heavenly father. And you know what? If we're walking in pride, it is not in your best interest to walk in pride. So what's the Lord going to do? He's going to humble you. He's going to humble you. And it's for your best interest. <laughs> He's not being mean. It's for your best interest. 
to not walk around in pride. So the Lord suffered this thorn in the flesh to remain, to keep him humble. And what was the lesson he learned through the midst of that suffering? He said, first of all, God's promise to him is that my grace is sufficient for you, but also the, he taught, he, he learned in that, in that circumstance of not just for a brief period dealing with that thorn in the flesh, but perpetually dealing with that thorn in the flesh that never went away. The Lord suffered it to remain. He said, I will therefore glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me because when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, it's not in our best interest to go around thinking that we're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and we are so strong that we can handle any... You, can, you are not strong enough to handle the rigors of this world. You weren't made for that. But guess what? You can handle all things through Christ who strengthens you, right? When you commend that over to Him. So if you go walk around thinking, I, I'm strong enough to handle this, it's a dangerous place to be. But if, you're, but if you're walking around saying, Lord, I'm so weak, I don't know how in the world I could ever handle this, that's when the power of Christ can now be manifested in your life, okay? And that was a very necessary lesson for the Apostle Paul to learn. Okay, and then the fear of man. The fear of man. Now, uh, there's a lot to be said, especially in the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms were written by David, and they were written by David when he was on the run in fear of his natural life, right? Um, there were people that were physically trying to kill him. But you know what? He looked at them, and he looked, he looked at Saul over here and all of, all of his uh, army, and then he looked over here at God, and he said, You know what? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's talking about people there. We're not just talking about, oh, the world's bad. Of whom? They're people. Of whom shall I be afraid? If the Lord is for us, who shall be against us? That's talking about people. Who shall be against us? Now, that's talking about fear of, of, of maybe uh, natural harm. But fear of man is, is a lot bigger than just fear of natural harm. The fear of other people's opinions. The crippling, debilitating fear of what somebody might say, what somebody might think, that somebody might not like me. Oh, boy, the... the the horrible fear of the word might. <laughs> and you know what? Because of that fear of other people's opinions of me, uh, that fear many times begins with doubt. Unchecked doubt quenches faith. The more that fear grows, our faith diminishes. But fear will lead us to sin. This is the, it's not just about us having to, to know how to control our natural emotions. Fear will lead us to sin. Okay? How many examples do we have in the Word of God? We'll probably talk about them later where people got afraid and they lied. They lied because they were afraid 
of man. And I'll tell you the times that I've um, probably fibbed the truth, that's just trying to make myself feel better. Um, the times I've kind of skirted the truth a little bit, most of the time it's because it was a fear of what being brutally honest about either the repercussions of that or what somebody would think if I was brutally honest. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to just kind of veil the truth a little bit. By the way, half truth is a whole lie. Abraham went into Egypt and he said, Sarah's my sister. He was his half-sister. <laughs> a half-truth is a whole lie. You want to know why he did that? You want to know why he lied? Because he was afraid of being physically killed by Pharaoh because his wife was so gorgeous. He was afraid of losing his life. And what did that lead him to? Sin. Lying. Fear will lead you to sin. Okay? This is not an academic exercise. Fear will lead you to sin. You want to know why Peter denied the Lord three times? Because of fear. Because he was afraid about what some little old bitty maiden thought about him. <laughs> some little old bitty girl. And he was so afraid about what she thought about him, he denied the Lord three times. All these examples in Scripture, when people get afraid, they start sinning. Okay? And many times, it's a fear of man that creates that. A fear of, of what other people are going to think. And, and nobody's above this. Nobody's above this. You know, I think about Peter in Galatians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul was saying, I rebuked Peter because he was to be blamed because he was very kind and charitable and open to the Gentiles. But when these legalistic Jews showed up that he knew had a problem with Gentiles... He forsook the Gentiles, and he said specifically the, the reason that Peter did that is because he was afraid of those men. He was afraid about what those people would think about him and what they would say about him instead of telling them, you are the problem. <laughs> You're the legalistic problem, probably even some, some racism undertones in there too. He should have chewed them out. Instead, Paul had to chew Peter out because he was to be blamed because he let the fear of man impact the validity of the gospel, okay? And that, that, that's the significance of why Paul took that so seriously. It's because it's not just in that specific circumstance that you're being afraid and you're compromising this. You are impugning the integrity of the gospel by showing hypocrisy and partiality between Jew and Gentile. Okay? That's why the Apostle Paul took that so seriously. But Peter, Peter was so afraid of what those Jews were going to think when he was doing the right thing by fellowshipping with those Gentiles, he let the fear of man cause him to sin. Okay? And then... Uh, underneath the, the fear of man, we could certainly say the fear of governmental authorities, too. That can be pretty imposing, right? Possibility of being imprisoned, possibility of uh, possibly even natural death. Praise God for his providence and that not being a very relevant topic for us, but it has been for the church in centuries past.
Now, when it comes time, do I fear God or fear man? Right? Do I obey God or obey man? Which, which one do I choose to fear? The apostle said we're going to obey God instead of man because we fear God above man. Right? The fear of man's a snare. That's in the book of Proverbs. Much to be said about that. And then the fear of death. The fear of death. Um, you know, some of uh, some of the fear of man. The root cause of that is the fear of death. Right? We're afraid of losing our natural life. And I, hey, I, I don't want to. I don't want to die before my time. You know. I mean, I, I, I'd love to be around for a while. If that's the Lord's will. But you know what? best thing that can ever happen for a child of God is to lose our natural life. <laughs> you know, I wish I'd have enough faith to look somebody in the eye and say, you know what, if you want to start my eternity faster, be my guest. <laughs> I'd love to see my Jesus today. <laughs> now, I hope the Lord in His providence would, uh, if, if, if He's still got stuff for me to do around here, hopefully He'd protect me from that. But you know what, I hope I'd be able to now. That doesn't mean we just make dumb decisions, right? Right. But you know what? If it's between compromising the truth of the gospel and compromising a belief and a testimony in Jesus Christ and, and then uh, compromising that fear of the Lord because of a fear of governmental authority, I hope I'd be able to look at that, that person and say, you know what? Please give me the privilege of seeing my Jesus today. <laughs> God has delivered you from the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There's that word bondage again. We don't live in the bondage of being afraid of death every day. Death is the very best thing that could ever happen to the child of God, right? That's when we get to see our, our Jesus face to face. But furthermore, as we live here, Christ has delivered you from the fear of death. And by the way, all of this is so interconnected. What's, what's one of uh, the greatest fears uh, of the unknown? It's death, right? Uh, the fear of man, uh, the fear of the unknown, so much of that lends to the fear of death. Okay, quickly. Remedies, the remedies for fear, the fear of God, the fear of God, walking daily in the fear of the Lord. We'll consider these a lot, a lot more in depth um, in the future. So many beautiful promises to those who um, walk every day in the fear of the Lord. Um, the power of Christ. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, you can... Um, that something resides inside of you. Christ resides inside of you. Do you understand that? The power of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the power of Christ resides inside of the heart of every single child of God. You have that power to handle the weight of any stress. I just have to rely on His power instead of a faulty understanding of my own strength or my own power. We have that power. And then of a 
of love, of perfect love, and of a sound mind. God's given us wisdom. He's given us the Holy Spirit that allows us to think rationally and clearly about situations that absolve our fear. And then prayer. Faith. I haven't left near enough time for faith. Faith is trusting God. Um, and if you let fear grow unchecked, then faith will always be diminished. You know, G, uh, uh, Peter, when he was walking on the water, and then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink, he tells him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Doubt crept in. Doubt's always going to creep in. What do we do with doubt when it shows up, right? Doubt left unchecked quenches faith. Doubt left unchecked creates fear. And then, in other various sea voyages, he tells the disciples, in, in other instances, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And then, not just little faith, in Mark 4, Why are ye so fearful that you have no faith? Luke 8, where is your faith? Because they were afraid. You see that? When faith, uh, when fear grows... It's an inverse relationship. The more that fear grows, the more love diminishes. The more that fear grows, the more faith diminishes. And in this instance, faith had grown, I mean, fear had elevated so much that in that instance, they were showing, by the words of Jesus, no faith. They had no faith in that moment because they were consumed by fear. Now, what's the inverse of that? What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It's faith. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Okay, a few encouraging verses to close out. Okay? Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not. What, what's the main remedy for fear? For I am with thee. Right? He's never going to leave us, never forsake us. Thou fear not. For I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. And I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. For the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not. I, well, that's beautiful imagery, isn't it? Picture that in your mind. The Lord says, I'm going to hold your hand and say, Fear not, I'm going to help you. That just encourages my heart to view the Lord taking my hand and saying, fear not. And also just to keep yourself in the right place. Fear not, fear not thou worm of Jacob, ye men of Israel. And then Isaiah 43, verse 1. But thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, fear not. What's, what's the main remedy for fear? For I have redeemed thee. I've redeemed you. I've saved you. And I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I'm going to be with you. I don't need you. I, don't be afraid of those waters. Why? Because I'm right there. I'm going to be with you. Through the rivers, they're not going to overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. Maybe shall the flame kindle upon thee. Skip to verse 5. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. Okay. Isaiah 35 to close. 
Verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees and say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Say to them that are of a fearful heart. What's the remedy? What's the remedy for a fearful heart? Behold your God. Trust in your God, right? I hope the, the Lord will bless us in the consideration of this, which also I didn't, I didn't read there. Um, in the KJV Bible, fear not or be afraid is found 103 times in the KJV. The word fear is found 501 times and afraid 189 times. This is very prevalent. Why? Because this is very prevalent and relevant for God's people, for God's children, right? And then from the Psalms, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I will trust in thee. Because I know that I am safely and securely held in the hand of the sovereign God of this universe, right? And there's nothing that can take take me out of that. I don't need to be afraid of some bugaboo that may happen tomorrow. That's not going to take me out of the hand of God. I don't need to be afraid of man. That's not going to take me out of the hand of God. I don't need to be afraid of death because that's sure nothing going to take me out of the hand of God. Nothing to take you out of the hand of God. Nobody's going to be able to pluck you out of the hands of the Father. And that absolves, can help absolve our fear. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but power and of love and of a sound mind. Walk in faith. Trust in the Lord. And hopefully, we can have that fear diminished, Lord willing, quenched, if we pray, trust the Lord, pursue perfect love, and serve Him to the best of our ability. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.